0: This morning, we continue with our consideration of the fruit of the Spirit, and we've come to the second-last one that Paul mentions in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of gentleness. After the sermon, we will respond by singing once again from Psalm 26, and we'll sing the last stanzas, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to start with a question, like I often do. How often do you ask the Lord to give you a gentle disposition? When is the last time that you prayed and asked God to make you gentler and kinder? I trust that it is your desire to be gentler and kinder. After all, we who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we want to be more like our Savior, do we not? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle." and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me, he says. Well, as we consider the fruit of gentleness, let us learn from our Lord and Savior what it means to be gentle. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. We'll consider, first of all, the gentleness of God towards us, and then we will consider how we then ought to be gentle with one another. The word that's translated as gentleness has traditionally been translated as meekness. You find that word in the King James Version, for example. And those words can be used interchangeably, but they're not quite the same. Meekness is a word that is often misunderstood, also as gentleness, really. But gentleness and meekness should not be confused with weakness. To be a gentle person doesn't mean that you just let people walk all over you. Rather, it involves humility and thankfulness towards God and a gentle and restrained behavior towards others. Restrained behavior towards others. So, the opposite of gentleness is anger, unrestrained anger, a desire for revenge, a desire for self promotion. The opposite of meekness is to be harsh and rigid. If people think of you as a person with a tough exterior, you are lacking in gentleness. Meekness is not weakness. Gentleness is not ineffectiveness. To be meek is to have the inner strength to be tender, especially towards the hurting and the weak. But at the same time, the capability to calmly... (coughs) calmly and resolutely, to face those who are overbearing. So then meekness, it must start with a humble attitude about oneself, a humble estimate of ourself before God, and it's expressed in our attitudes and actions towards others. Meekness, then, you could say, is power and authority under control. Meekness is power and authority Under control. And this is perfectly demonstrated in the love and the power and the authority of God. God's enemies feel his power and his wrath. His children feel his power and his care. Psalm 147 The Lord lifts up the humble, but he casts the wicked to the ground. So gentleness is in the very nature of God, and gentleness is perfectly demonstrated in the Lord Jesus Christ. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isaiah chapter 40 gives us a picture of who God is. Isaiah 40, verse 10 Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Now this is a picture of God. And that is a picture that is perfectly fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is sovereign and almighty. His recompense goes before him. In other words, God will repay his enemies and the enemies of his people They will get what they deserve, but His people will be vindicated. But He will also recompense His children. Recompense means to give what is their due. The most significant and noteworthy example of recompense in human history is, of course, Christ's death on the cross, His payment for our sin. Recompense can be seen in the atoning work of Christ because on the cross the Lord Jesus gave something Of compensation. He he gave his perfect life to compensate for our imperfect life. For the sin of all who believe in him. And he paid the full penalty for that. For that sin. And so he exchanged his righteousness for our sin. So you could say then that God's meekness was on full display on the cross of Golgotha. Because on the cross we see God's power and authority under perfect control. His wrath poured out on Christ and satisfied, but at the same time, His gentleness towards us on full display. The gentleness and meekness of God is on full display in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The character of God's Son and the character of God is on full display on the cross of Calvary. The Old Testament prophets in many different places spoke about the character of God, and this in particular. We can refer to Isaiah 42, where the prophet speaks about the Lord's servant Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. The Lord's servant, Jesus Christ, he is not a bully, he does not lift up his voice in the street. He's not flashy or flamboyant. He doesn't shake his fist at the establishment. And he is gentle with the bruised and the broken. He doesn't write people off. He says to those who repent, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The Lord Jesus is God's almighty servant who will make all things right. He will recreate the world as it was intended to be. He will bring justice to his enemies and vindication to God's people for all those who believe and trust in him. And he will not grow faint or weary or be discouraged until he has accomplished everything that he has intended to do. And the Gospel of Matthew describes how Jesus heals the sick, how he deals with the hurting, How he encourages those of little faith. And Matthew then quotes these words from from Isaiah 42. And he says of Jesus, he will not quarrel or cry aloud. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. You see, the Lord Jesus is almighty, and yet he uses his power to gently help those who are bruised and broken. He is both a king and a shepherd. Think of the well-known words of Zechariah 9, verse 9. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Behold your king, congregation, a king and a shepherd, humble and riding on a donkey, a king who carries the lambs in his arms and gently leads those who are with young. Think, for example, of how gentle he was with his disciples. When they were tired and discouraged, he said, Come, let us go to a place privately where we can have some rest and pray together. And even when Peter, James, and John disappoint him in the Garden of Gethsemane, in his most difficult hour, they fell asleep. They couldn't stay awake and pray with him. He's gentle with them. Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you might not be led into temptation. And Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, Thomas did not want to believe that the Lord was raised from the dead. Jesus meets him and simply says, come and see. Touch me. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. So he meets Thomas exactly where Thomas needs to be met. And he uses his power to turn angry and bitter people into men and women who have a gentle and meek disposition. Think of what the Lord Jesus did to the Saul of Tarsus. Who was Saul of Tarsus? He was a violent man. The Bible tells us he breathed out murderous threats against the followers of Christ. He imprisoned them. He beat them. He even helped to kill them. But Christ produced in him a radical change And transformed by the Spirit of God, he became a meek and gentle man. To the Thessalonians, he writes that while he and the apostles had the authority to demand praise from believers, instead they were gentle among the Thessalonians, like a nursing mother caring for her infant children. And this is from the mouth of a former murderer and a persecutor of the church. And in 1 Corinthians 4, he writes, Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Or 2 Corinthians 10, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present I may not have to show boldness. By the grace of God... Saul of Tarsus has become Paul, a meek and gentle apostle. He clearly shows that his authority is under control. And apart from the Holy Spirit, he could never do this. An insolent blasphemer has become a humble servant of God. And an arrogant persecutor of the church and of Christ has submitted his life to Christ. And so he can write, for example, to the Philippians, let your reasonableness, that is, let your gentleness be known to all, to everyone. Is that your goal too, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that your reasonableness would be known to everyone? To Titus he writes, remind believers to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And the real test of this is how we act in our own families and in our own homes. And he reminds Timothy that when he corrects an opponent, he should do it with gentleness. Why? Why must Timothy do that with gentleness? So that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Why be gentle with an opponent? Why be gentle with those who are sinning? Right? You don't get people to repent by clobbering them over the head with the Bible. But you encourage them to repent when you gently point out their error. We find the same sentiment in Galatians 6, verse 1, right after our text. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him with a spirit of gentleness. Why? Why does the Holy Spirit instruct us to do it in this manner? So that we understand in what spirit we ought to exercise mutual discipline in the family of God. Why must we do this in gentleness? Well, for two reasons. Galatians 6. First, that we ourselves are not tempted if we restore or rebuke someone in arrogance and self-righteousness, we're in grave danger of being caught in transgression ourselves. And secondly, we must restore sinners in gentleness because this is how we reach the heart of sinners. That is how Christ reached the heart of sinners. Who wants to listen to a bully? I don't. Who wants to listen to a self-righteous person? I'm sure you don't. No one does. So in the family of God, we're called to encourage and correct and support one another in gentleness and meekness. Especially, especially because we recognize that we ourselves have been treated with so much gentleness by God himself. You see, God has the power and the authority to throw us all into the lake of fire, into the deepest recesses of hell. But he controlled his power. Instead, he directed his power against Christ. And he did not snuff you out. And he did not break you, even though you are a smoldering wick and a bruised reed. Instead, he gives us opportunity to repent and repent again and again and again, and he responds to us again and again and again. How then can we who are children of God act any differently? How ought we to respond to the Lord for all his goodness and his gentleness towards us? Well, first of all, and most importantly, we must be willing to submit our lives to God and to his word. Do I have a teachable spirit? Am I willing to listen to what the word of God tells me? James writes, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, what does that mean? While well, he goes on, jealousy and selfish ambition are things that come from earthly wisdom, right? They are displayed in an unspiritual person. That's demonic, he writes. But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Are you open to reason? Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. In other words... You're not going to get any benefit from reading the Bible if you don't humbly submit yourself to listening to it. If you are full of bitterness and resentment and jealousy, if you have a dirty mind, if you have an argumentative spirit, the Word of God is just going to slide right off of you like water off the back of a duck. And a gentle heart is revealed in a willingness to listen. And meekness, a meek heart is revealed in a willingness to repent. It means that when you're confronted by sin, when your parents tell you that you're doing wrong, or a friend, or an office bearer, that when you're confronted with the truth, you're willing to listen. And it means that you're willing to face the truth and the consequences of your sin. It means that you don't keep on trying to hide the truth or ignore the truth or or put on a false front. What happens when we act that way? Well, then our relationship with God is spoiled and our usefulness as servants in the kingdom of God is compromised. The Apostle Peter talks about that in his second letter. He, He reminds us of the qualities of the Spirit Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And then he writes, he goes on to write about these qualities. He says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind." If you lack these qualities, he says, you have forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. So brothers, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Confirm what you have been given in the Spirit. For if you practice these qualities, which you have been given, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, there's, there's so much in that little passage, but let me just say this. That means repentance must be a daily thing in your life. Cast off the old nature, put on the new. Get rid of your filthy garments and clothe yourself in purity. So we must be teachable, we must repent, and we must also humbly trust the Lord with our lives. It's easy to trust when things are going well, when the sun is shining and all the flowers are blooming. The congregation, have you ever considered that the Lord develops a gentle spirit in you by sending trials and difficulties into your life? Of course, nobody wants to have troubles and no one wants difficulties. No one wants tragedy. But it is precisely the things that I don't want in my life that God uses to shape me and mold me and make me who He wants me to be. We don't want to be sick. We don't want to be disappointed. We don't want to lose something that we love. We don't want to be broken. I don't want these things in my life. I'm sure you don't either. Who wants these things? But God, our Father in Christ, He is sovereign over all of these things in our life. He is sovereign in His dealings with us. He is our our loving Father who disciplines us for our good. And that word discipline, that's not a negative word. It means teaching, it means training, it means instruction. Just read chapter 12 of of the book of Hebrews. There the author author states that all discipline seems hard at the time. Of course it does, right? It's, It's unpleasant, right? We all know, boys and girls, you know too, discipline is unpleasant. But he writes later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Well, what is the Lord busy doing in our lives, congregation? Well, the Lord is committed to conforming us to the image of Christ. That is His goal for us, for each one of us. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is doing it. He's committed to doing it. He is committed to molding us and shaping us to the gentleness of Jesus. The congregation being molded and shaped is painful. Undergoing spiritual transformation is painful. The Apostle Peter talks about us all being stones in the building of God. Precious stones. Well, what what does a mason have to do with stones? He has to chip off the sharp corners and shape the stone and mold it. God is doing that to us. He's chipping off parts that aren't good and he's shaping us and molding us and pushing us into place. So that we are molded more and more like Christ. And that's, that can be a painful thing. And he does this through trials and difficulties. But he does it without breaking us and without snuffing us out. He gently leads us where we have to go. question is, are you willing to submit to his gentle leading? Are you willing to respond in gentleness to his gentle beating? Listening to his wisdom, following his prompting, accepting his loving discipline. Do you have the spirit of gentleness to do this? Are you teachable? Are you willing to submit to God's word? Do you have a repentant spirit? And are you willing to submit your life to the Lord's direction? Finally, since we have been treated with such gentleness by the Lord, shouldn't we be acting in the same manner towards others? Should we not be gentle with one another? How is that with you, congregation? Young and old, boys and girls? Grandparents, how is that with us? Do you have a reputation of being gentle and meek? I know that's a tough question. It's as tough to ask the question as it is to prepare a sermon like this. If you were to undergo a spiritual MRI, what would be the diagnosis? Would you be excited to hear what the great physician is going to tell you? Considering the depth and the meaning and the, of the fruit of the Spirit, as we've been doing over the last weeks and months, is like submitting to a spiritual MRI, and it can be disconcerting and even scary. Because it shows that there are things in my heart that shouldn't be there. And it also shows that there are some things that are missing, things that should be there. So let's ask ourselves some questions. Let's do this together, undergo a spiritual examination. Are you flexible or are you rigid with others? Do you tell yourself that you are a person of principle When in fact you are merely insisting on your own opinion. When you do things for others, do you even ask them if that's what they would like or do you just assume that you know what is best? Parents, are we generous and fair towards our children or are we exacting and demanding? Are we sympathetic to our children? Or do we always insist on upholding the principle of tough love? Am I harder on my kids than I am on myself? Am I prepared to be understanding and sensitive towards the feelings and the fears and the insecurities of others, especially to those who are near and dear to me? Boys and girls, Do you slam the bedroom door when mom asks you to clean up? Or do you say, sure, mom, I'll do that? And what about at school? Do you support the bully? Or do you stand up for the kids who are being picked on? And what if you have authority over others? Maybe you're an employer, a teacher, or a catechism instructor. What's your reputation? A reputation? Do you have a reputation as a tough disciplinarian, someone who runs a tight ship? Or do you have a reputation that you also care for those who are under your authority? And what about the strangers in your life? Are you polite to the clerk at the checkout counter? Are you patient when you're waiting in line for something? And my dear elderly brothers and sisters, are you aging gracefully? Maybe I can ask that of all of us. And when I ask that, I mean inwardly, not outwardly. Are you becoming increasingly compassionate, amiable, reasonable, and kind? Or are you becoming more crusty and inflexible? You see, if you are gentle on the inside... No one will notice your wrinkles because they will see you as a beautiful person. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we need to ask ourselves, in which direction is my heart oriented? Is my heart directed towards God and my neighbor, or am I mostly self-oriented and self-interested? And are you ready to forgive those who trespass against you? To be filled with a spirit of gentleness means that we are ready to forgive and that we forgive readily. Because remember this, the offenses against us are nothing compared to our offenses against God. Offenses which he has already forgiven. In congregation, when we live this way, when we're oriented towards God, then we can also be oriented toward others. And when we cultivate a spirit of gentleness and forgiveness, then then the competition in our life will disappear too. As we live less and less for ourselves, and more and more for others, we'll become less defensive, less argumentative, less self-justifying, less defensive. Instead, we'll, we'll become more like our Savior, gentle and kind, sensitive and understanding, sympathetic and thoughtful, willing to listen, willing to be submissive. Surely, congregation, it is our desire to be more like our Savior, is it not? We want to be more like Christ, do we not? And then, surely, it must be our goal, too, that our goals for our life are in line with God's goals for our life. The Father, our Father in heaven, wants us to become more like Christ. The one who said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. And you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me, he says. Do You want rest for your souls? Peace in your heart and your life? Then learn from the Lord Jesus Christ what it means to be gentle and submit your life to him. Amen.